Hi, it's Dave. Today I'm joined by Emmett Peppers, and it's been a long time, maybe a few weeks since I've talked with him. So glad to have him back on the channel. And we have a ton of topics to talk about. We have Tesla, we have Dogecoin, we have Coinbase, we have Bitcoin, and just a whole host of other things going on in today's world. Tesla earnings is coming up just in little over a week. And we actually had a kind of a breakout, kind of record delivery number a couple of weeks ago that Tesla posted. And I haven't had a chance to really discuss this with Emmett. Has Tesla's kind of breakout Q1 delivery numbers affected, impacted his view on Tesla stock price, on momentum, on institutional investor sentiment? So a ton of cool topics. Um, anyways, wanted to welcome you back on the show, Emmett. Hey, yeah, great. I'm glad to be back, Dave. I was, uh, it was, it's been a few weeks, you know, we don't usually go this long without chatting. But, Definitely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, how was Hawaii? It was awesome. Yeah. I was in Maui, mm -hmm. uh, tons of pineapple and macadamia nuts. And, you, you know, even though those aren't native to Hawaii, actually, it's like a big part of, uh, Maui at least. Mm -hmm. and, um, it was great. My kids loved it. I, it was my first time there in 20 years and it was wonderful. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Fun. Yeah. I spent, um, like in my twenties, like I spent a good, um, a couple months out there, like just as kind of a, I, I was doing some writing. I just spent like a couple months writing kind of some just, um, kind of like a chapter of my life felt like it was closing and I wanted to kind of wrap it up. And I spent a few months out there and, in um near Honolulu. And then I had a chance to visit some of the other islands after I got married, but fantastic place. Yeah dying to take yeah, my incredible. kids as well um yeah i was like tempted to like move out there i was like man this is incredible i can see why larry ellison yeah. is out here now. yeah everyone goes through that i think <laughs> the first time they yeah. head out there um yeah. so i'm curious the um tesla stock price so um have you been surprised at all at how it's moved um did the delivery number impact or change kind of your your thoughts on on how you think investors are looking at the stock yes um I was kind of hoping the delivery number would be, yeah, in a weird way, I was hoping the delivery number would be um, uh, what most people were expecting, which is below, you know, around 160 or even lower, like, you know, in the 160s or something like that. And then like the stock would kind of take a big hit. And I thought that would be like the one last big chance to like load up on leaps for me, you know, uh -huh. um, you know, to translate a lot of my stock to leaps at that point, you know, but I didn't. But that didn't happen, and the numbers were good, and that's good too. The stock went up, you know, and I'm happy with that. And um, you know, and I think the sentiment has changed with institutions, or it's about to change when this earnings report prints and shows a profit more than people expect. And you know, um, I think uh, I don't think it's going to take off and go up 10x or anything like it did in 2013 or 14 or whatever. But it, it, you know, after they printed their earnings report of a profit. Um, but I think uh, it's going to go up, um, but not enough, not not with enough probability in my mind, high enough to where it makes sense to load up on leaps. You know, I'm sticking with the stock for the most part. Um, you know, we have such a big company already. Like, for it to even double would be like a huge change from like what 650 billion to like 1.3 trillion. I mean, that's a massive move in market cap. You know, and that would be in my mind like it's possible but it's you know the end of the spectrum of possibilities for the near term in my opinion um but if it had gone to like a 400 billion market cap like i thought it might after a lower delivery report then 
I think it could still get to a trillion within a year or two. And so I thought that the leaps would have been a better risk reward opportunity. So right now I'm just kind of hanging on to the stock, um, but I, I'm very positive and bullish on the stock. Obviously, I just think the ex- options are expensive for mm-hmm. the probability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it it really actually changed how I viewed kind of near term momentum. I felt like before the delivery number, what the situation was, Q four had been you know not as great in terms of I think earnings and and gross margins and. Q1, everyone was expecting weakness, but then the idea was if Q1 was weak, then there could be, who knows, a few more quarters of weakness. Like it just would have led to maybe a good, you know, kind of period of kind of um, suppression a little bit of just the sentiment. But then with the surprise Q1, it threw people off. I think investors are still trying to like figure this out. Like they're like, wait a minute, where is the next kind of, downturn the opportunity for you know for tesla to really yeah. take a step down and it's hard because they're just ramping production so fast you know like every quarter it's more deliveries mm-hmm. then you got more factories and so it just seems like q1 was the last opportunity for the shorts kind of in the near term and the last opportunity for those who really wanted you know kind of a bargain price for tesla and now that's gone so what do you yeah. do you're kind of like stuck now you know if you're trying to get into tesla yeah um, yeah. And, that's and I don't like, want to yeah. sell covered calls right now either, because like the stock could jump 10 or 20 percent in a week, you know, after earnings. You know, I don't know if that's, you know, um, so it's like a weird situation. It's not like you want to sell those deep out of the money covered calls, really, unless it's like really deep out of the money, maybe. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was I was looking at but, the covered uh, yeah, calls. I was looking at the covered calls just to, for next Friday. It says this is on Friday, just for the one week out. You know, it's like the oh, 900 strike calls, you know, get like 70 cents or something. But then I'm like kind of scared. <laughs> I know I could always roll them <laughs> up know. and stuff, but it's like, man, well, who knows what could happen? Yeah. I don't I'd like you don't know whether you want to be a buyer or seller of those calls. It's kind of tricky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could go either way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so um, did you do any kind of option plays at all after um, kind of Q1 deliveries for Tesla? Yeah, I mean, I, a small amount. Mm-hmm. I bought some uh, deep out of the money calls that are like a month out because I thought maybe the stock would start really running up after that. I mean, it went up a, a little bit, uh, but it hasn't gone. You know, I, I think I bought like thousand fifty, uh, just a few. You know, small bet on thousand fifty covered call. I mean, not covered call. I bought calls for thousand mm-hmm. fifty. It was like May eighth or something like that you know like a week after what i thought earnings would be so now it's like two weeks almost after earnings i think they expire so it's you know i think right now they're about even money for what i paid for them because the stock has gone up maybe i'm up a little bit but um i'm just gonna hold it's a small bet i'm just gonna hold on to it to see if the earnings really does uh push the stock up you know sometimes you see these companies in their prime you know these growth stocks and you know, Apple did this many times, right? Where they'd have this earnings and it, like in their prime growth era where, you know, everyone knew it was a growth stock, but their earnings would just be blowout and the stock would go up like 20% in the days after, you know? So I'm hoping possibly this could be one of those earnings reports for Tesla. And if it is, then those options should hopefully go up pretty quickly. Um, so we'll see. It's a small bet. I wouldn't bet a big portion of my portfolio on something right now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I did a bit. I have a kind of a, a play account. I want to say play account. Uh, it's downplaying it, but a Roth IRA that I, I'm trading more and just, you know, taking some bets and um, did about a 5% position off on some 800 strike uh, calls expiring the week after earnings and then um, some leaps as well, another 5 or 10%. Um, I think, mm. yeah, I forget what the strike, probably a thousand or higher but um actually maybe a lot higher i forget but yeah i'm, I'm kind of playing the, the odds that i'm kind of picking up from you kind of to see if there is that 10x possibility you know um yeah so yeah if you buy something you know at 800 strike if it there's if the earnings is great surpasses expectations and we hit you know close to all-time highs then i can come out to at least a five or 10x maybe but um yeah it's tricky you know because we know the realities of, of what can happen. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, almost, you almost have to do these types of plays, like expecting for it not to work yeah. out. But you also know that like one in three or one in four times, you hope it will work out. And in those times, it'll be a five or 10x return, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it also helps to have uh, kind of an account that I'm okay with losing, but also taking a, a, a defined position, you know, that I'm okay also with losing. Mm -hmm. And then understanding that if I'm doing these 10x plays, then I will find occasionally some winners that will outset the losers. Um, yeah, interesting stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Ujwal Buta on Twitter. So I asked uh, our, our Twitter followers, my Twitter followers for questions. And he says, uh, does Emmett still maintain that Q1 deliveries cause institutional sentiment change? And if so, how is he playing it? So yeah, like, do you think, um, you know, we didn't see a big jump in Tesla stock price the first week it was kind of you know muted and last week we saw some movement but what do you think is going on kind of with with the stock price yeah i mean i think a lot of institutions the portfolio managers who haven't you know bought in 100 percent to tesla yet they're kind of just sitting on their hands my guess kind of waiting to see another signal you know this was a good signal but now they want to see kind of the earnings report and have their analysts comb through it and give the okay that, yeah, this is a legitimate growth stock. And and then maybe they make their decision to have heavier weightings of of Tesla in their portfolio. You know, um, that's my guess of their mindset. You know, the, the, the part of, I think, you know, I'm very lucky with the returns I had, but a lot of my investment philosophy is trying to get in the minds of the individuals making the decisions. You know, institutional portfolio managers are the most important decision makers individually. You know, retail people, yeah, that's like a herd. You got to know their kind of decision making too. Um, but uh, I try to put myself in the minds of those people. And I've talked to enough of them from my previous job who are starting their own hedge funds, where I feel like I have a, some sort of perspective on certain ways how they think, you know, some of them. I mean, they're all different, but they're a lot of more brilliant people. They don't get to those positions, um, you know, unless they're brilliant, you know. And so, uh, you know, if you're managing, billions of dollars in a fund you're you know you're pretty you, you, know, you gotta be at the top of the class of your of your firm to get to that position you know and so i think they're just careful and tesla is an enigma it's hard to study me and you we've spent a decade studying it and we don't even understand it fully right there's so many components of it and you know um so it, it's hard to get but uh i think as more signal more data points become available 
these individuals uh, will come on board slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. That's my thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so another question. So I want to move on a little bit, but we'll come back actually to some Tesla topics in a bit. But Christine uh, Buchan says, hello, gentlemen, we would be interested in your perspective on Doge. Thoughts on Elon's cryptic message viability of forking it as well as coin IPO. Thanks for all you do and share your chats are a fave. So yeah, um, um, first let's talk about Coinbase a bit. Um, we were chatting a bit just text-wise in terms of Coinbase yeah. um, and you know, if we had bought or trading it or if we had traded it. Um, I bought a, kind of a small-ish position to hold long-term um, at Open. I also got some kind of, I want to say free shares. I, I got some shares that I were like, that yeah, today, yeah, yeah, popped up in my email. <laughs> I was like, cool, man. Um, hundred something shares. I got just um, like that, just because um, I guess I invested nice. in a company early. Like I spent ten thousand bucks, in, you know, two thousand twelve or so, invested in a company that invested into Coinbase. But for you, um, um, what happened? I, I mean, I, I texted you and you said you traded it. Um, you actually you know, wrote it up and then sold it, I guess, um, in chunks. But mm-hmm. what was your thoughts like on that uh, day that Coinbase went public? Yeah, I mean, the day before I was chatting with a close friend of mine uh, about it and um, we were just discussing it and, uh, you know, it's such a hot direct listing, you know, like the top of the top one of the year or top one ever maybe direct listing at least. and so much hype around it and you just know there's a lot of excitement with retail especially you know and maybe some institutions like arc investment you know some progressive institutions um and so you know this direct listing they had that reference price of price of 250 and you just know it's going to be much higher so i was like well i think there's you know i saw the roblox direct listing i've seen others um and i just knew like this thing's definitely going up like 10 you know five or ten percent maybe 20 percent you know within the day of its direct listing you know of the first trade you know um so i you know but i don't understand coinbase's business for the 100 billion market cap valuation to be honest like i just don't i don't i'm not confident in that so i don't want to hold it long term really uh, maybe i'll study it and decide i do but just for a quick trade you know i look for opportunities like that and so i just on margin decided to buy you know significant amount of shares right at the open got it at 381 and I had a bunch of limit orders like stepping up to sell it at like, you know, 395, 410, 420, and 440 or something. Just close out the position. And we were, me and my friend were on the phone and we were both doing the same thing and we were selling as it was going up and it was kind of exciting. And then when I got to like 420, 425, I just like, I'm just selling the rest. And, you know, it was just, it was, I got, you know, it, was, it worked out for us because, I mean, it could have kept going up, but we would have made a quick profit anyway, we thought, you know, but we just felt like, again, a psychological herd type of trade where you want to be in front of the herd, you know, and, and there's kind of a, an emotional high of this thing going up, right? And when it starts trading and you know, that's going to come down at some point, but does it come down and just stabilize right there? And a big thing was also that I think this is the first big direct listing for NASDAQ. I think the other direct listings were on New York Stock Exchange. The New York Stock Exchange, you know, they've done this several times, but whenever there's like a first IPO or a first direct listing on a new exchange, you always have to be a little careful. Like things get really screwy, you know, like the Facebook IPO or whatever, you know. So um, because of that risk, uh, we didn't go heavier and I didn't want to hold on to it any, you know, past 420-ish when it went up there. I just had a feeling 
this is a good time to get out. And uh, yeah, it worked out fine. I, I, in my personal account, I kept a hundred shares um, or a thousand shares or something. Yeah. And it, basically it's paid for by the other shares I sold for a profit. So I'm just holding on to that long-term um, and see what happens, I guess. But uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like you get those opportunities where I felt like it was a 90% chance this thing's going to fly up five or 10% right after the open. And why not try to make a quick profit on that in like 10 or 15 minutes, you know, it was kind of fun. Yeah. And it was almost like you knew that was going to happen and it happened. And, you know, the worst case is it, if it drops right away, it's not going to drop to like $200, you know, but I thought that was a tiny chance that it would drop, you know, right off the bat. I thought for sure it was going to go up initially. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was the play. It wasn't, it was just a short term date, like quick trade. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. So how much did you put into it? I'm curious. Uh, 10,000 shares, uh, in my personal, Okay, and it was all on margin. You know, I, I, I try not to use margin, but it, you know, I, you can using margin intraday like that for, you know, a few minutes isn't going to cost me anything, you know? So I could have done a lot more. I think if it was on New York stock exchange, not NASDAQ, I would have done a lot more. Hmm. Uh, I would have used like, I would have like, used maxed out my margin and done like, you know, five times more, 10 times more. Really? Or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I might have, not 10 mm. times, but I would have done significantly more. I just wasn't mm. confident enough in the NASDAQ um, having all the right, you know, backstops in place to prevent like a major, a major embarrassment for them, you know, because it would be embarrassing for them if the stock just dropped right off the bat after the first open print, you know, so these, mm. all these exchanges are trying to show that they can handle direct listings, you know, so they want to make sure the stock doesn't just crash, you know, it's yeah. fine if it stabilizes or it goes up, yeah. which it did, obviously, initially. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's tough. I mean, I could see like with Roblox direct listing, it was, you got that, that pop, it opened, I think it's 64.50 and then um, it popped up to the low seventies. Um, so like I could see like Coinbase, you know, having that dynamic, did, were you expecting it to to drop below its open price on the first day as well? No, no, no. Okay. I thought it would settle around four hundred. Oh, like I wasn't sure. Okay, I didn't. I thought it would settle a little above. I didn't. I didn't know it was going to go below the open price. That's why I held on to those thousand shares. You know, I was like, oh, hold on. And that was like ten percent of my initial position in the personal account. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, I was surprised it went to like the three three twenty. I think. Yeah, or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, for, it's volatile. I mean. I, I was tweeting like I think it's going to be probably one of the most volatile stocks in the stock market. You know? Yeah, because <laughs> like yeah, its fortunes yeah. will rise and fall with you know Bitcoin and all the crypto stuff. Definitely. Yeah, it's a good way to get exposure, I think, to the whole crypto scene. Mm-hmm. You know, without owning Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever specifically. Yeah. So, you know, it's a good way, to, easy way to get exposure in your brokerage account with the click of a button. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of I kind of like Coinbase um, in a sense where I, I kind of follow some of the, the 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 tech startups and the companies from the early days and their founders mm-hmm. and the reputation on how like they execute over time. And so I've been tracking Coinbase for quite a while, and they've just have they've executed really well. They've got like really competent leadership, competent engineers. Um, there's just certain companies that that come along that that get the, the respect of, you know, the people in the know, the insiders in tech. And, and Coinbase is one of those guys who, who they, they're just kind of heads down. They'll do the engineering, they'll do the coding, you know, 
they kind of know what's going on and it's hard to bet against those guys you know i think they got lucky that we were in this big you know crypto boom and then yeah you know, their sure. their q1 quarter was it was crazy and Incredible. yeah they're getting this crazy valuation and now everyone they can get it's like it's it's a great time for them you know it's like a liquidity event everyone gets to you know um share some of the, the fruits of their their work yeah. but um yeah, yeah fun stuff um definitely i think it's a it's a company um, we'll be talking about or people will be talking about in the future a lot i think we'll see we'll see i mean it seems like i'm not sold on them having i mean i guess they have the first mover advantage of an exchange they have good competent leadership it sounds like um but i don't know if they're tech there's anything super unique about their technology other than it just being you know, competently put together and like good, good execution, but that does, that's all you need. Sometimes you don't necessarily need some kind of technology moat or whatever, you know? Yeah. I think it's a combination where they have, they're pulling together a lot of just, you know, uh, a lot of work where to include all of these different cryptocurrencies on their platform, it takes a lot to cater to institutional investors and go through all the regulatory hurdles for them. And, to do all that it just everything is just takes a lot and that's the thing who are their competitors you know it's like it's like in the u.s it's yeah. you don't really have much you know you might have what about the what about the gemini uh exchange that the winklevi twins put together is that still around that was a pretty big institutional yeah i mean i don't know i mean institutionalized coinbase just seems like they they have a it's dominant okay. hold and then i think yeah. uh retailer is the second place is kraken but like kraken is like man, I, I've been using them for some stuff and it's just a different experience, man. It's so hard to stick mm. money into Kraken. It's like you have to go yeah. through some third-party authorization service, which takes forever. And yeah. it's like Coinbase is like light years ahead in terms of user experience, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. and Coinbase could really cross-sell their user base. They have a huge user base already. They can cross-sell lots of different mm -hmm. stuff like NFTs or they can even start cross-selling stock, you know? Yeah. Um, and 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 such. So they they have a lot of opportunity to 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 grow. So 100 billion market cap. That's pretty steep for me to think about for something like that. But yeah, yeah. you know, it's that it doesn't mean they're not going to. I just can't see them going to like a trillion market cap. <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. what? <laughs> so I, yeah. I'm looking for stocks that can go up like you know five or ten x potentially. And yeah. I'm not sure Coinbase Coinbase is one of them at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some possibility. I wouldn't say like like the possibility of them going to a trillion in 10 years. Um, the scenario I see is if DeFi and this whole crypto economy world, um, mm -hmm. this parallel you know, economic system on crypto, if it grows the way it has been growing, if it continues to, to just radically grow like a weed, mm -hmm. um, what's, what's going to happen in my opinion is, is let's say the crypto economy is worth 20, 30, 40, 50 trillion dollars. I don't know what, let's say it's, it just grows like a weed. Who knows if it takes 10 years or 15 years, but if Coinbase can uh, keep their predominant kind of position and market share yeah. and then continue to build on ancillary services, just all the financial mm -hmm. services, you don't need to go to a bank anymore. It's like they're the bank. Then they're, yeah. they're at a trillion for sure. You know, I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but there's everything a, goes right. Maybe. Yeah. But everything does. I mean, things have to go right. You know, the, yeah. the, the whole crypto DeFi world has to continue to expand and, and Coinbase needs to 
head down, you know, keep their execution. So we'll see though. Yeah, nothing's, you know, yeah. for sure, for sure. Um, let's see, another uh, uh, person, Nathan Lee says, hey Dave, we'd love to hear you and Emmett's thought on if Doge will become the silver of crypto of the crypto world. Yes, Doge may not have the tech like Ethereum, ADA or DOT, but once the market cap reaches a certain range, people will start buying stuff with, with it. Could it become a real currency? Um, yeah, what are your thoughts yeah. on Doge? I, mean, I, I think um, it seems like Elon's taking it very seriously. I mean, it's a funny currency, but he's taking it seriously, ironically, or whatever. You know, so uh, I don't know what his plans are exactly, but he definitely has plans to like get more engaged with it, and you know, and maybe his hopes that aren't you know fully set in yet. Maybe he's waiting for developers or some of those big wallets to to lower their stakes a little more but um you know he 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 i think bitcoin is the digital gold i don't see that changing um but i i think doge could become the digital currency you know um i think it's got that disinflationary uh property to it um and that's what is very attractive to Elon. Um, and if he pushes it, you know, there's a much higher chance that it becomes the, you know, cryptocurrency uh, that people, you know, common folk use, everyone uses, you know, in the future. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it's got that 5%. Uh, initially, it's like 5%. Uh, inflation and next year it's like 4.98 or next year it's like 4.96 percent so over time that's why it's disinflationary it's lower inflation every year going forward um, but that encourages people not to just hoard it like bitcoin um, but encourages people to actually use it you know because there's you, you you're losing value slowly over time if you just hold it and hoard it you know so that's i think the property that differentiates it fundamentally from the others and then you see people like the guy, Charles Hoskinson, you know, say it's dangerous. I don't think so. I think he's overreacting. I think he wants Cardano to be the next thing, you know, and it's a threat, you know. So that's his his whole livelihood is that, you know. So, you know, I, I mean, people are going to argue all different ways about it. But I think, um, you know, I respect Elon's opinion on this stuff more than anyone in crypto, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What, what do you think about it? Yeah. Um yeah, I think like the more I think about it, the more I think Elon actually is pretty serious about Doge. You know, it's like, like yeah. he he comes across like, oh, he's joking about it, oh, ha ha ha. But mm -hmm. like, think about it. Why is he sending a literal Doge coin to the literal moon? Like, is it because it's a joke? Like, that's not a joke. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, like he's really trying to promote this thing. You know, like there's no other reason why he would send a literal dogecoin to the literal moon like he's yeah yeah he's not sending a, a bitcoin to the moon you know what i'm saying it's it's yeah he's he's yeah. really trying to push you know to see how far uh, dogecoin can go and so it's a it's like a big experiment to see what the wealthiest person who has you know a very large influence and reach what he could do to really push you know, a joke of a currency, a joke of a coin to see how far it could really go. Can it become like the people's coin? And um, yeah, man, it's crazy. <laughs> it's exciting times. I mean, this next five yeah. or 10 years, so much is going to unfold. It's going to be mind blowing. So, and, and I still think that, you know, he put that fork in the road, you know, mm -hmm. picture of his, 
you know, I, I still wonder if he's doing something with uh, Tesla and like Tesla coin or maybe it'll be Dojo coin. I don't know, like with the Dojo, you know, computers they're building. I don't know. But I feel like they're going to do something. Um, they're going to have some kind of input, whether it's on Dogecoin yeah. or whether it has to do with their own currency or a fork with Dogecoin. I feel like somehow Tesla and Elon are are, are going to do something, you know. Yeah, I, don't it, know. I don't know what, but something. Yeah, it, it, Elon doesn't like really stop at like being a, an observer you know what i'm saying like he, yeah. when he gets into something that's significant he gets into it or he actually and he wants to improve it exactly like he, when he took over tesla he improved it and made it what it is exactly you know, yeah. yeah um yeah he doesn't just sit by and just you know cheer it on you know what i'm saying yeah <laughs> he'll, yeah. he'll, he'll no. do something about it um that's that's the thing you know it just seems like it's such a crazy thing you know like dogecoin but when you put Elon into the picture, then it's like, oh my gosh, anything can happen. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, crazy stuff. Preston Halstead says, um, I'd like to hear both your perspectives on whether Elon's tweets about Doge are creating a harmful bubble that will event eventually damage the validity of crypto long-term. Um, you mentioned you don't think so. Uh, Kieran Thada says, um, I strongly feel this quarter Tesla will announce Doge coin in their balance sheet. Um, they may be, that would be a surprise they, to me. Yeah, yeah, they may move some of their BTC to Doge. Um, and then Mark Salinas says, "Do you guys think Tesla bought Dogecoin or will be accepting payments in Doge, Dogecoin soon to put it on the balance sheet?" The master of coin name is starting to make a lot more sense. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, some of these things are possible, you know. Think about it. Like Elon doesn't sit back yeah. and you know he doesn't like just you know do anything he, he he's a yeah. quick decision maker when he's on board something you know yeah. he'll he'll try to go for it yeah. I, I don't know he doesn't what will care happen. what other people think he just yeah. does what he thinks is best and right yeah so it's possible I, I mean i'd be surprised if they put dogecoin on their balance sheet but it's possible I mean, maybe that's part of the spike in dogecoin who knows but uh i'd be surprised for sure yeah if they did that already yeah do you have any doge no yeah. what i i was just talking to someone and you know, I wouldn't mind getting a little piece like of Dogecoin just for fun and just to have and say, oh, I got it at 35 cents when it goes to like three bucks or a dollar or something. You know, it's already going up, what, 60x in the last several months. So yeah, it's, it's like, insane. It's going to be volatile for a while until there's some. So I think part of what Elon would do is make it more stable I, somehow. The, mm -hmm. the fork, you know, if they're, if they're doing something with it, I would think. Part of that is to be, make it become more stable, mm -hmm. stabilized, like currencies kind of should be, you know. So who knows how long that could take or how they would do that. But you can't really have a currency unless it's got a stable value of some sort, you know, mm -hmm. like the U.S. dollar or any fiat currency is mostly stable, you know, of a major mm -hmm. country. Does the market cap of Doge concern you at all, like 40 45 billion dollars market cap? I mean, Tesla was like under 40 billion dollars just a year and a half ago. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why I think that they're going to, that fork in the road has something mm -hmm. like, there's something like, yeah, 45 billion is tiny right now. So there's, there's something more to it. Like, I don't think at Doge as it is, is, is what Elon's intending. I think there's going to be something more to it. Uh, that's my feeling. I feel like he's connected to the Microsoft people who built it or I don't know. I mean, he's talked so much about it. How could those people and Elon not be talking about it? Right. So it's, uh, it, we'll see. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, for, for 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 it to become like a currency, it's going to have to go. You know, as it is, it would go up like 
a hundred X or more, I don't know, it would go ridiculously, but it would be so volatile going all the way up there. You know, it wouldn't be a currency. It would be another, you know, hoarding scarcity thing like Bitcoin for a while. It would take a long time until it kind of leveled off and the 5% inflation per year kind of kept it more stable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you tweeted, uh, I think about it this past week about Bitcoin, mm-hmm. how you think, you know, the ultimate ironic situation would be if, you know, during this bull run of Bitcoin, institutions yeah. you know basically bought in but bought in so much that when there's a, a big crash the governments have to mm-hmm. bail out these institutions who bought bitcoin um and that would just be the ultimate yeah. irony like what what, how, what triggered those those thoughts there well i mean i was uh, i'm trying i try to read all different viewpoints on this stuff you know i want to ex- explore every possible avenue of which way things could go and so I follow people that are bearish on Bitcoin too. You know, why wouldn't you? You know, most of the people we listen to in our circle of, uh, you know, Tesla verse people and growth stock people is pro Bitcoin. And, um, you know, so you only hear bulls talk about it, people that already own Bitcoin, you know. So uh, Nassim Taleb, you know, he's one of the brightest people, I think. And I follow him and take his thoughts seriously. And at one point he was pro Bitcoin, but he has since flipped. And, and, um, so he says some negative things about it, from time, but he had retweeted some guys kind of tweet storm about it. And there was other people that were kind of commenting. I read through it all and it just started making sense. And I was like, this is a real possibility. And I started thinking, well, like also, you know, they were talking about how it's sort of like an open Ponzi scheme in reality. It can be seen that way where, you know, uh, there's a pool of money going into Bitcoin, but it's a zero sum. It's not even zero sum because some Bitcoin gets lost or there's energy used to create it. So it's not really even zero sum. It's worse, but you have a pool of money going into it. Eventually that pool of money going into it is going to shrink enough where the pool of money in it is bigger, right? So the people at that point who got in first won the pyramid scheme because they can sell out at the higher price and everyone else gets screwed. And, and so it's like one of the biggest open Ponzi schemes ever in history. That's the framing. And I'm not saying that's true, but that's just one angle to talk i think the guy bruce burnsworth had an analogy which was interesting of looking at a statue from different angles to try to get different perspectives so it's just one angle of looking at bitcoin right i'm not saying it's true i don't mm-hmm. we're all trying to figure it out like the elephant the blind people touching the elephant analogy you know we're trying to figure it out what is this what's going to happen right so i just started thinking about that perspective and that angle a little more and i realized wait you know like also if bitcoin gets so big or becomes like a major part of our economy, like all institutions are putting 5% of their balance sheet. That's like standard. But then you have some institutions that are like 50% Bitcoin, you know, or Coinbase, which is like most of their businesses like Bitcoin and Ethereum and that stuff. And then you have so many speculator people that instead of buying stocks, they bought Bitcoin and they've, that's most of their net worth and savings and they're buying in late even. And they just, everyone just kind of assumes can keep appreciating and stay stable, not go down. Well, what happens at that point when there's kind of an avalanche of sell-off, you know, and that'll happen, you know, it's not going to just go up forever. It's not going to be stable forever. You know, it's going to, there's going to be a sell-off at some point, you know? So what happens when it sells off and what if the next crash is similar to the previous major crashes and it goes down 80%, like let's say it goes to a million and it goes back down to 200,000. So it goes to a million of Bitcoin. That would be like a 15 trillion market cap or something like that. It's a big portion of the wealth, you know, and then it goes on 200,000. Well, there's that systemic risk, 
you know, in the whole economy, in my opinion, like there's tons of institutions will go under, you know, they're using it for margin or financing, you know, um, now all of a sudden that margin of financing is only worth 20% of what it was. So they have to, you know, close down businesses and, and then it's a major economic rupture similar to the housing mortgage bust, you know, in a way. And yet now you have to have the U.S. government and other governments come in and bail out these businesses with their fiat currency and print a bunch more fiat currency. So I was thinking, man, that would be so ironic. And that would be like the most ironic thing, like fiat currency comes to save Bitcoin. <laughs> so, so that's what I was thinking. I was like, it just clicked. And I was like, man, how come no one talks about that? That seems like that would really happen potentially. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen next year or the year after, but I, I think within 10 years, there's a very realistic chance something like that goes down. You know, like if Bitcoin keeps growing like it is, you know, I mean, it's going to become bigger and bigger, right? Right now, it's much bigger than it ever has been in the past, right? Yeah. So even if it dropped 80% right now, imagine how many people in the tech industry would be totally screwed and out of jobs, lose all their fortunes. It would already hurt. It would already put a big dent in so many people's livelihoods, right? And that's right now. And it's still sort of new. So what if it goes up 10x from here? And it's like mainstream, and then it drops even just 50%, you know? Some people are over leveraged. There's all these kind of instruments about it being over leveraged. You know, it's just, I just see major future, like a major Bitcoin crash, like the great Bitcoin crash or something, like of 2027 or something. I don't know. It just, it just seems like that could really happen. And I'm just thinking about it more and more. It just seems to ring true more and more that this will happen. And uh, I just have to figure out when and prepare myself like the COVID crash or something somehow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's always going to be people like, you know, Bitcoin is very, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, people love their Bitcoin, <laughs> the, the idea. So, and I think people can, you know, for those who, who I think can misunderstand, you know, what you're saying here is you're not you're not saying you're a Bitcoin bearer. You know, you're not going to say, you're no. not saying that Bitcoin is, is going down. It's, it's, I'm not saying that it's, it's a possibility. Yeah. You, I'm saying. It's a realistic saying, possibility. Yeah. Yeah. You're not saying you're, you're a, a short term or long term bear per se. Um, I mean, that, that's the thing. I think, um, um, people have to realize like for as long as I've known you, you know, you've had Bitcoin, um, yeah. from the early Mount Gox days, you know, um, 2011. Yeah. Yeah. 2011, yeah. And you've carried it. You've held that, you know, that belief yeah. in Bitcoin as digital gold. And uh, you have what? You have probably at least what? You have like seven figures of Bitcoin right now, right? You, you oh, just yeah, hold. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's ironic. It's been like 3% or of my net worth or something along, you know, proportionally, it's, it's, it's kept up with all my Tesla success, you know, 3% for the last couple of years, you know, three, mm -hmm. three or four years. So it's, it's funny. Yeah. So it's a significant three or four or five percent of my net worth in that range yeah. yeah so you're not you're not you're not um um yeah you're not saying this as as someone who's like you know a newbie to bitcoin or who's who's bearish on bitcoin or else you wouldn't hold it you're just entertaining the possibilities i think a lot of people it's hard for for people to really be open-minded you know to mm -hmm. to stuff so there's this um um one follower, your your needler says, how uh, how is it best to seek out different viewpoints? What do you guys do to challenge your own biases and viewpoints? So I brought this thing up because I love to do stuff like this to entertain other perspectives, you know? Absolutely. And I think it's like crucial to understanding something deeper. But I what I've found is a lot of people have a lot of difficulties with this type of taking the other side or 
really examining thing, something from multiple angles and they get tripped up because it feels like it's, it's sabotaging their belief in whatever they're thinking. Right. And so yeah, it's yeah. hard for them to even entertain that. Um, what, what most do you, people, mm-hmm. most people are, I think, and I think human nature is to be a binary thinker, you know, mm-hmm. black or white, yes or no, you yeah. know, and Bitcoin is success or, or I'm a bear. I'm not a, you know, mm-hmm. a, a bull or bear, you know, and, I think that's a fault. You know, I think you have to think probabilistically, you know, and you have to think of the different angles, different possibilities and try to weigh them yourself and be comfortable with uncertainty because it's always uncertain. The future is always uncertain, you know, and so you just have to kind of train yourself to be second nature thinking that way. Like, you know, um, this could happen or this could happen or this could happen. You know, you can't put all your eggs in one basket on a certain outcome and that, to be in the future, you know? And so you, you have to be calculated in a way that you're, you're combining the probability of different scenarios so that, you know, if it doesn't work out one way, you're not mm-hmm. screwed, you know? And if, it, you know, it's, that's just what I think it's important to recognize that we all in human nature are binary thinkers and we have to try to get away from that. Yeah. I think, um, <clears throat> I learned uh, through a bunch of like my earlier Bitcoin interviews with various Bitcoin kind of thought leaders. Like it's, it was funny because if you listen to a lot of my interviews, they're actually very bullish, like short-term medium, because like it was very clear that, you know, this is demand driven and the demand will, will, will push the price and there's nothing short-term, you know, next few years that really, you know, stops the demand. And so, but as I, as I kind of went further and went into more of the longer term, let's say five or 10 years out picture and looked into some of the risks, people would get tripped up in some of my interviews, at least listening saying, Dave, how could you, you know, you know, not get it, you know, Bitcoin or how could you be against it. But I'm like, Hey, I'm short term long. I'm like, a, I'm, I'm bullish short-term, medium-term, five years. Like, it's obvious the demand is, like, you know, pretty strong, yeah. and that affects the price. Yeah. I'm not talking about the short-term. I'm trying to look at it from different angles, you know? I'm yeah. trying to, to understand it fundamentally deeper than than what meets the eye. And what I learned is is that's that's actually, like, um, I think it, it's it's different, you know? to And it's hard for people to, to, to grasp, to go, oh, this person is a bear or a bull. There's no in between, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. and, um, but I think, uh, and that's they have to label you one or the other. They can't, they're confused and people get confused exactly. if it's something in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that labeling that black and white thinking that whole, you have to defend your, this need to defend your, your beliefs or whatever. And you're, like all of that, like for me, I don't feel a need, need to defend myself even with like, even with like Tesla, I don't feel a need to defend myself really. You know, it's like, yeah. it's just what it is. It'll, it'll be whatever it yeah. is, you know? Um, but back to this, you know, the great Bitcoin crash of whatever, 2020, yeah. <laughs> seven or 2026, who knows? Video is the great Bitcoin crash. <laughs> I bet a lot of people will watch it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, what's interesting, what's what's fascinating about that, what, what rings very, like, what I resonate with that is on a few levels. First, like, Bitcoin, because its supply is so limited, it really is a function, the price of Bitcoin is really a function of demand, you know? And as, as demand for Bitcoin goes up, the price goes up. And, like, in one of my interviews with one of the Bitcoin folks earlier on, 
I caught this kind of one insight where he was saying kind of perhaps one of the, the, the most genius things of Satoshi's kind of invention was that he baked into Bitcoin itself um, a mechanism to um, take advantage of human greed. And this whole thing of you're building into the, 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 mecha- the system itself an, an evangelistic kind of marketing system where mm-hmm. the more you evangelize, the higher the price goes. And so you're greedy. Like it, that's the, the greed of man. It's like, I want yeah. more. I want more. Therefore, I will push it more and the price will yeah, go up more. Yeah. Right. It's just, and that's built into the system. Right. And that's, in a sense, one of the reasons why Bitcoin succeeded, because it, it had that in, that inherent kind of um, marketing slash it could take advantage of greed slash, you know, wanting the price to go up. And so, you know, all the coins, that's that's the whole crypto world. You know, it's like yeah. they're all shilling, like try to, you know, push up their own coin and and yeah. make some make some, you know, make some money off of whatever, you know, uh, yeah. the new coin or demand is. But the problem, or the not the say problem, but the weakness. There's a there's a strength to that system, and there's a weakness to the system. The strength to the system is when demand is going up, it's going up, like the price is going up, and it's got this in this 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 um this flywheel of a system where more and more people join, they more and more become marketers or evangelists for the coin because they need to. They don't want to lose their money, right? To, just the yeah, fear yeah. and the greed of man is is causing this flywheel to go faster and faster and become stronger and stronger until there's like no one left. <laughs> Meaning yeah, like, yeah. like who's going to buy it after, you know, a certain point. And then, yeah. then it, it starts to shake and it's like, okay, it's like all the, and the, some Bitcoiners would say, oh, it'll never end, right? There'll always be, but then yeah. the reality is every market has a saturation point, you know, it gets to this point where, you know, it's hard to find people anymore. Like everything, like yeah. stocks, housing, whatever, you know, it's like a point where the buyers run out. And at that point, yeah. it the, the advantage becomes a, not a small disadvantage, but a huge disadvantage, meaning it could go down even much faster than it went up, you know, much in faster. some ways. Yeah. And I don't think people yeah. are getting that, understanding really the, the, so the, what, what, what's going on here, the mechanisms of, of, of yeah. demand and price and, you know, everything. Like this whole system, it, it just seems like it's, it's so clear to me, like this is what, what's going on, you know? It's, <laughs> it's so clear, but, but for, for, yeah. I, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm with you, but I don't understand like why this isn't being like <laughs> talked about more. Why don't people you know? talk about it much? Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Put their head in the sand about this possibility. Really. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like, why can't it happen to gold then? And maybe it has happened. Gold has been around thousands of years. This is digital gold. It's been around half a generation, you know, so new gold, physical gold has been embedded in our culture for thousands of years and all kinds of economic ways. And, you know, it's the, the digital gold, you know, it's much more liquid. It's gone up so fast, so quickly to where it is. It could continue going up really fast for a long time. That just means it's going to fall even faster when it does eventually, you know, and yeah. I'm not saying, I'm, you know, I, 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 I just think it's a realistic possibility. People need to realistically consider, like, I don't mm-hmm. see that being discussed. I think people are really going all in on Bitcoin a lot. I see that all over Twitter, at least it's like, 
100% Bitcoin or, you know, <laughs> I'm like, holy crap, careful, man. I think you should carry some fiat currency too. <laughs> so that's what I'm thinking in my head. I don't tell people this stuff, but, uh, you know, everyone can do their own thing and it's worked out for them so far and maybe it works out for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would just be careful. It's just, it's a real risk. Yeah, I don't think enough people are considering and it's not talked about. Too yeah. bad. It's too bad. It's yeah. not talked about. So I think one of the, the kind of the signs might be when these big banks, you know, um, get into the business because these big banks, man, they're like, they, they can't help themselves. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like no. some of them are the epitome of, of human greed, you know, it's like when there's an opportunity, yeah. they must, you know, um, go into well, they've seen enough of their, they've seen enough of their institutional, like wealthy clients go over to Coinbase and they're like, no, we don't want to lose those clients to Coinbase. We, we have to offer this service too now. You know? Yeah. And like you have like the companies like MicroStrategy or Twitter or Square or Tesla go into, but that's different in my opinion. I think um, when you have the Goldman Sachs and the Morgan Stanleys and the Credit Suisse and Deutsche Banks, all these big, you know, banks and whatever get into, you know, Bitcoin, crypto and, you know, do advanced leverage schemes and all this stuff. And um, yeah, that could be setting things up because these, these guys, like, you know, nothing stops them in a sense, you know, when they see that. Yeah. And then I was, I've, I've been th looking into, you know, Archegos, right? The, the Bill Huang uh, fund yeah. that blew up. So yeah. <laughs> I spent this past week, like, a couple of days, like really quite diving into this guy and his, his psychology. <laughs> and I'm like, I think he really got messed up by the banks. And the, the reason is, is because like, supposedly he had this call with a few banks, like, um, the day before, like he wanted some more time to unwind some positions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what happened was he had this call with a couple of banks and right after the call, Goldman Sachs just liquidated everything. Just like wow. they didn't give him the, the, what he wanted. Basically he just wanted a few days to quietly kind of liquidate his stuff and get yeah. under position and all that stuff. Right. But they freaked yeah. out. Goldman Sachs said, we're out of here. And they, mm. without his knowledge and whatever, they just liquidated the whole thing. And then wow. another bank did that. And so the first bank or two, they came out unscathed, but then all the other banks, they just had to do the same thing or else, you know, who knows what their loss mm. would be. So they started liquidating. So the later you liquidated, the more you had in loss. Loss they took. Exactly, right? Yeah. So it's the exact same thing at this great Bitcoin crash, right? If you think about it, you've got all this exposure, let's say, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, the first one's out, make it okay. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what motivates the people to get out, like, and to get out big, you know? You get the Goldman Sachs yeah. or wherever, they go, forget it, 50 billion sale right there, you know? 100 billion yeah. sale right there, you know? Yeah. We're out of here. <laughs> and the next bank yeah. goes, we're out of here, you know? And it's then- panic. Exactly. And the bag holders, like the slower banks, you know, they get held with all the stuff. And then, yeah, it's definitely um, crazy stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I just hope, I hope that type, if this type of thing is to happen, if it happens, I hope it happens sooner than later. You know, the longer mm -hmm. it, it takes to happen, the more crippling it'll be to the whole economy. You know, if it happened today or tomorrow, yeah, it would hurt a lot of people. It'd be major news. Might tank, might even bring the whole macro market down a little bit with it. But um, if that type of crash, next 60, 80% crash happens five years from now when Bitcoin's at a million dollars of Bitcoin and everyone and their mom and their taxi driver and everything is, you know, so invested in Bitcoin, 
it's going to really cripple the economy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely. I mean, to me, that's the that's the big reward and risk of Bitcoin. It's it's completely demand driven. You know, it's like yeah. <laughs> go yeah. up with demand. There's no underlying dividend coming. Yeah. You know, it's not a business. You know, and yeah. so I was also thinking like, why can't you know if this scarcity thing, you know, Bitcoin, people are buying as digital gold. Why can't shares of a company be the same? You know, I thought at one point GameStop might be like a symbol of something like this for the people, you know, pushing against institutional Wall Street or something, you know. But why can't like Tesla stock shares become a symbol of digital scarcity and people just buying it up? But at least, you know, there's some like underlying business that's going to give some big dividend down the road, most likely, you know. So I don't know. I just think Bitcoin... Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just. Uh, I still own it. And, you know, I'm not yeah. saying I don't, but I, I, I don't tell people to put. You know, all my friends and family. I'm like, yeah, you should own a little bit, but not more than like three or five percent. That's what I would suggest. You know, so that's what I tell people. And, and as Bitcoin goes up, it'll turn into a higher proportion of your net worth, obviously. But yeah. it doesn't mean you should trim it. But I don't think people should go in with more than three to five percent of their net worth, for example. Yeah, that's my suggestion to people. I, that's friends and family. I don't know. People on this channel should do their own research and figure things out. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely interesting stuff. Um, moving on to uh, Lord Pretty Flacco, I think he goes by SMD Capital, says, we'd love to hear your guys' thoughts around managing capital gains, plans for how to manage one to two digit millions in gains, and future plans for investments in post-Tesla allocation world. Um, yeah, so different things um, going on here. Um, managing capital gains, I'm assuming he's talking about capital gains taxes, uh, plans to manage one to two digit millions in gains. I guess he's talking about you've got, you've got some gains. What, what do you do with your gains? And then also post-Tesla allocation. So let's say after you know, you've invested in Tesla, you want to move on, diversify, or do something. Like I guess the overall question is like, how do you view this? What's your approach or any kind of you know, ways to yeah. kind of evaluate, sort out kind of you know, decisions that need to be made? Yeah, I mean, I think I talked to um, a friend of mine who's helping them, you know, he works with ultra high net worth people and I've known him for 10 years when I, he was a client of mine, worked interactive brokers and, you know, I, I trust him greatly and he knows a lot of, you know, CFAs that know the tax law and are connected. And earlier in the year, he thought it was like a significant chance that this capital gains tax um, would be... Uh, you know, the capital gains advantage would be taken off the table and it would just be treated as normal income tax for high earners for, and it would be, it would be, you know, pushed back to the beginning of 2021. But now I just talked to him last week and he's talked, had gotten updates from the CFAs that he talks to that are connected. And they said it hasn't really been brought up yet. And so they think there's a much smaller chance that it gets retroactive for all of 2021. And if they don't start talking, if the lawmakers don't really seriously start talking about it, you know, in the next month or two, it's pretty much a zero chance to be pushed back for 2020, the beginning of 2021. But they think that the beginning of 2022 is when it'll take effect. Still, they think that's a high likelihood, mm. which means sometime in 2021, most likely it may be smart to close out of some positions at the preferential capital gains, um, long-term gains, um, tax, tax rate, um, you know, unless you're okay paying the full U S federal income tax rates, you know, um, and then, so that's my what the opinion. That's the advice I've been received. I don't know. Everyone needs to do the research, but that's sort of. And I don't know if I'm going to sell a lot, but I'll, I might sell enough that I know I need to like survive 
for a while. And if I want as much as I was intending to diversify in the near term, sometime before the end of this calendar year. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you evaluate, for example, let's say you have a certain number of shares that, you know, if let's say you live in a state without sales tax or income state, uh, state income tax, but let's say, you know, you could sell the shares and take, you know, what a 23.8% tax, let's say on your shares, long-term capital gains, 20% plus 3.8% Medicare tax. Um, or you could, you could take that this year, or if you wait, you'll have to pay, let's say 40%, but it could be with Medicare tax, maybe 43% or something. Um, yeah. so it's about, you know, almost a 20, 20% increase, but if you, but let's say you don't want to sell your Tesla stock, you're just going to take it out and put it back in. So let's say you yeah. sell your Tesla stock, take a 24% hit, put it back in. Does that make sense? Or should you just keep it in? Yeah, yeah, that does. But I think there's also this wash sale rule, which means if you sell it, you have to, I think, wait 30 calendar days um, before you buy it back if you want it to kind of be reset your cost, your tax basis on it. You know what I mean? Um, if you try to, I think if you try to buy it back in under 30 days, like if you sell your Tesla and then buy it back, less than three days, then it triggers a wash sale. I um, think so that might be more like for short-term trading. Like if you have a- Oh, you don't think it's long-term? Yeah, yeah. So if you have like, if you did a short-term trade, you Possible. got a loss and then you bought the stock back right away, then like you can't book that loss as- it might be right. As a, as a you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wonder just if you do a, you know, like 24% hit, but you're just going to put it back into Tesla for 10 years. Would it be better just to forget it and just don't take the hit, just keep it in and just hope that in five or 10 years, you know, the tax code would be different. Um, yeah, maybe it gets reverted back. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, you know, because you will get less shares, right? So you will get 24% less shares, you know, if you do the tax hit now. You will. Um, but at least you know those shares, if they if they didn't go up much and you just sell them later, you're going to get the full value pretty much versus having to pay 40 three percent later on that yeah, you know that's true that's the safety you have on it but if you if you're just planning to hold it long term yeah I, I, that's why most of my shares i'm going to hold long long term it's just yeah. you know a, a small amount of my shares that i was that would i would like to sell to, whether it's for a living or diversification that i intended to do sometime in the next two or three years anyway i'll just kind of speed up that timeline and sell it before the end of this calendar year i see got it what percent do you think you might sell of your kind of longer term um, I haven't decided, um, you know, it depends how high the stock goes right now from where it is now, but it could be anywhere from like five to 25%, somewhere Mm -hmm. in that range, you know, I don't know, it could be as little as five or 10% or it might be as much as 25% somewhere like that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you thought about doing something like that? Yeah. I've been thinking about it. Um, it does seem like the probabilities are perhaps this year, they're not going to raise the uh, capital gains to um, income tax level for a million or higher because um, they're they're busy trying to just figure out this infrastructure bill, the corporate tax rate, all that stuff. So hopefully personal income tax will get pushed out to next year. But um, yeah, I've thought about it and um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the kind of unsure state where, you know, I don't want to I just want to hold my my stock for ten years. You know, I don't want to do much yeah. with it, right? So, but the thing yeah. is, like, yeah. but the the chances are in five or ten years, 
um, taxes will be much higher. Our, our, the chances are, are much higher, I think, than they're going to be much lower than now. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, especially yeah. in, let's say, in five or 10 years, you do get someone in the White House or in you know, the houses or something that's, let's say, who wants to do a lot of taxing, right? Um, you could see it a lot higher than it is now, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's definitely a risk you have to play, you know, um, for trying to forecast what's going on. Um, yeah. And the second part of the question was like, what do you do? I, I think um, with your Tesla reallocation to other things, if you want to be reallocated to the market, I, I really like ETF, the wrapper, ETF wrapper for tax efficiency um, because, and ARK Investments like the perfect fit, you know, because they focus their brilliant minds. They focus on growth tech. I don't agree with all their picks, but I like a lot of their picks, you know? And for me, I would maybe the stuff I'm not sure what to do with myself, I would probably put it in their ETFs because then your gains keep growing. And as they buy and sell, it's not creating tax gains for you or tax consequences for you, right? It's within the ETF. And so um, you don't have to take any tax consequences until you sell the ETF itself. And that could be much, much later, right? So it's pretty advantageous uh, tax vehicle, tax efficient vehicle, the ETF wrapper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, is there any way to go directly into kind of an ETF wrapper like that without having to sell your your stock and pay taxes? Uh, there might be. I mean, I've been looking at forming an ETF actually, and and mm. you know, I, I think um, it might be possible if you were setting up your own ETF, maybe. Um, but you can only put it like if if you're setting up an ETF, the there can't be any one person with more than like 25% of the assets of the ETF. So you'd have to have a lot of other people ready to kind of go into the ETF and bring up its AUM so that your portion is only 25% or something. So it might be possible. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it might be. Mm, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm, I'm actually like understanding and appreciating ARK Invest's, their approach a lot more, you know. Um, yeah, especially after our Brett Winton interview, it's just like, I'm starting to think, man, they really do their homework where every stock they're really thinking it could double within in five years at least. And for those that they think can do much bigger than a double, they're loading up, you know, that's their biggest positions, right? The, the ones that um, could do more. And then, yeah, this, the, the ETFs are great because you leave it in, you know, and like you ride this whole innovation, the decade, the times that we're in, you know, it's like, you go with, you know, people who are really yeah. tracking it, right? They're studying, they're, they're doing their homework, right? Um, yeah. I mean, you still can get in at the wrong time, obviously, but, you know, you got to, you know, manage that risk somehow. But yeah, definitely interesting stuff. Um, Snowball says, uh, your thoughts on diversification, passive investing and ETFs, ETFs we just talked about, putting all your eggs in one basket and watching that basket versus more baskets and following what the, the profs and studies say. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll take a stab in a sense where I think, you know, diversification, it's a very personal kind of value thing, you know, it's like some people just value that diversification a lot more than others, that safety element, want it earlier or later. Um, and there's others who, who are fine without it, or there are others who, for example, they don't need a ton to retire and they're, they can be more aggressive with, let's say, non-retirement funds, you know, um, so it's a very personal decision. I think typically, generally, people are 
pretty conservative where after a certain amount of gains and, you know, of assets and resources, they tend to diversify and try to preserve. I think that's the general trend. Uh, for me, I, I just, I just, I don't know, I just, you know, think differently <laughs> regarding all of this. And so, you know, for me, I, I kind of take a, a different, completely different approach where, you know, diversification, I mean, I, 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 I find a, a role of diversification to cover your needs and your, let's say retirement or your kids, et cetera, what you need. But then yeah. outside of that, I think it depends on what your goals are. You know, it's like, what are you yeah. trying to do with, with the extra resources? Yeah. What about you? Emma? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You go, you want to have some kind of diversification, you know, I tell my friends and family, yeah, be diversified for the savings you need to some extent. Don't do anything too risky or concentrated for what you need for your retirement and so forth. But if you have some bucket of money, that's like your own personal kind of like not play money, not like playing with it, but like your own side pot that you can afford to lose and be okay. But that you want to like test your own investing skills or knowledge, you know, with then, yeah, I don't think diversification in that bucket is necessary. You know, um, I agree. I think, and that's kind of what we've done or I've done is use that bucket to build my wealth with, you know, high concentrated bets and using options and such. So it's worked out for me, but I also am, you know, somewhat lucky and, you know, I, there's skill and luck involved, but I could have easily lost all of it if the timing was wrong with Tesla even, or and maybe I didn't just stumble upon Tesla. Maybe I just stumbled upon some other company that I thought was the next big thing and it wasn't, you know, so you just got to be careful not to use like your savings for something that's like, um, you know, eh, like that. I, I think you just got to have that bucket of money. That's like, you can, you, you got to think of it differently. Like you, you can, you, you can lose it and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I noticed them. Um, I don't know. I guess it's, everyone's different, but I've noticed a, a bit of kind of this, um, more and more people using margin and, um, got some questions about it. And um, it feels generally that most people aren't in touch with the actual risks of margin. Like it, it's very appealing, low interest rates, you know, get to borrow some money, mm -hmm. get more exposure. And I could understand it for a certain, like for certain purposes and certain amounts. Let's say it's, it's an amount that you could easily pay back or, you know, let's say it's not a huge amount compared to your salary or whatever, but I think when it gets to the point where it's like significant margin where it's hard to pay back, but you're counting on your stock to go up and it's like a, yeah. a big percent, let's say like you have a, you know, 30% margin or something out or something that kind of, kind of is a little nerve wracking to me. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know what people Very are thinking. What are your thoughts of that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, with the savings and your, the stuff you need for retirement, I would, I would not recommend any margin. I, you know, that's, side bucket of money that you're kind of like playing with if you want to use margin just understand it could increase your chances of losing it all it could increase your chances of having a higher return but you could also lose it all but you're okay that side bucket is you're okay to lose it all right so maybe in that side bucket it's fine but yeah for your main like account um that you, you that constitutes your savings and retirement in the future i, I would not recommend margin and, and yeah i see more and more people doing that because it's a lot of fomo has creeped in so many people had such great years last year investing and yeah. everyone's got like this competitive or envious nature and they all want the same thing and it's like people are going to any kind of 
way they can to get it using margin included, you know, so yeah. it's, it's scary. You know? Yeah. I mean, like, especially you get, you can get some pretty cheap margin rates now, you know, like, like one and a half percent or even less. And it yeah. feels like, you know, Hey, it's like free money to, to do more stuff with, but I'm just like, I don't know. For me, it's, there's this, there is that, there's always worst case scenario risk that I think a lot of times people discount. Um, but I mean, you could overdo it where you're so scared of the worst case scenario where you don't take any bets, any risk, right? That's probably worse. Yeah. But there's also that worst case scenario risk where you don't acknowledge it even, you know? And I think yeah. like back to this Archegos example, it's like when you're borrowing margin, you've got another player, another partner at hand, and they can change the rules anytime they want. Meaning they could say, yeah. hey, 100% margin requirement today, tomorrow, you know? And you're like, what the heck? Yeah. You know, that wasn't our agreement. Yeah. And then and then they're like, no, that was our agreement. And look at the fine print. We can change the, <laughs> the margin yeah. requirements anytime. That happened to me. That happened to me in the early days of Tesla, mm -hmm. if you remember when it was yeah. going up to like 100 to 150, you know, this is like 2014. Then I remember interactive brokers increased their margin requirement to like 100% because they'd gone up so fast and short sellers were getting killed and they weren't short sellers to be shorting it anymore too. So they just mm -hmm. increased it to 100% like within a couple of days or something. And I was like, holy crap. And I got like liquidated a few shares at like 150, you know, so that can happen. That happened to me. You know, that was in the, the play money account, so to speak. So, yeah. you know, it wasn't, didn't kill me, but it was just, like you said, they, the other, the broker... <laughs> can just say a hundred percent tomorrow and they have the right to do that. You know? Exactly. I mean, if you, if you have margin, I mean, my whole thinking is calculate what it would be like if you had a 70% or 80% drop in this share price. And at the same time, the brokerage says hundred percent margin requirement, right? And you have to pay back that margin, like Terrible. calculate what you have left as, you know, and, <laughs> and, and sit with that you know, for a while to, to, yeah. to understand what's going on. Uh, without that, I, I think it's a little bit, you know, I don't know. It's kind of crazy. I think some of the stuff it that's is. going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Peyton Kalawea says, Emmett says using Twitter is the right way. It, uh, uh, Emmett says using Twitter the right way is having a cheat code for real life. Can you expand on this topic? I'm fairly new to Twitter less than a year. Thanks. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I make it my pinned tweet for a while now where I have like this little thread of explaining kind of what I mean by that and uh, kind of gives slight instructions. But basically, um, the gist is, number one, you want to control your Twitter feed. You don't want Twitter's algorithm to feed you stuff based on what it thinks you want to know. So by you controlling it, you have to select the chronological feed instead of like Twitter top tweets or whatever. And then once you configure it to show the chronological feed, then um, what I do is I, you know, I pick a lot of new, I, I consistently every couple of days and picking new people to follow. Sometimes it's random people that are following me or have commented or look at a couple of other things. Oh, that guy's interesting. And other times I find, you know, Tesla bears or Bitcoin bears or, you know, just interesting people I've learned about, you know, and I follow them. But every time I follow someone new, it, it creates a longer feed for me to get through. And I know I have like a total of like one hour a day over the course of a day to go through Twitter or whatever it is. I know my time of how much I can get through Twitter. Maybe it's 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there. And so I don't want it to be so much that I can't get through that all in one day. I want to be able to go through everything. So what I'm doing is I'm constantly balancing how many people I'm following. And so if someone's tweeting too much, and I don't think there's a ton of value in their tweets, or maybe I have a bunch of other people that are very similar tweeting similar things. I'll mute 
them. You know, I'll still have them follow, but I'll mute them. And that most, the majority of people I follow, I end up muting within a, a few days or a week or two or something like that because they tweet too often or their tweets are very similar to other people. It's not something really new that I'm learning. And that gives me room to add more people that are new viewpoints. And when I get new viewpoints that are like unique and a little different, I don't mute them and I keep them there, you know? And so I try to program myself to have a variety of viewpoints that way, you know, cause I'm absorbing a lot of information from Twitter. Like that's, I'm, that's my news. You know, I don't read Google news. I don't read, you know, sometimes I pop up Google news for two minutes to see the headlines. I know it's kind of, I don't really trust it so much. Um, I, I look at, you know, whether it's CNN or Drudge Report or I have a few different sites I'd check out and I'll, you know, maybe a total of 10 minutes going browsing through that at different points of the day, maybe just to see what different political viewpoints are putting forth and so forth and media organizations. But for the most part, I take my the serious news is from Twitter. I get, you know, from inf- information, not just news, but just like information about things. And, um, so that's what I do. Um, if that makes sense, does that make sense? Yeah. Of? When you mute, what happens Do do you just see occasional tweets, like kind of their popular yeah, tweets? Yeah, if, if I mute them, then I see when they reply to me on something, or I see when they reply to someone else I'm following. So I think that's the, and that's not that often usually, mm-hmm. you know. And it's 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 tough because there's a lot of really good people though that I would love to follow, but they tweet like a hundred times a day or fifty times a day, or and I just can't afford to have that be. I can't afford 20% of my Twitter attention to go to one person. You know, yeah. I want to have like a hundred different people, hundred different viewpoints on Tesla invest. I focus my Twitter on health investing, you know, Tesla crypto, you know, and just various, you know, diet health stuff, you know, like things that I think can improve my livelihood the most, whether it's investing or health, you know, and I should probably start doing like, parenting or something too because that's you know i need to get more viewpoints i'd love to get more viewpoints on that stuff like your channel for example is really excellent you know so i just i like to improve different parts of my life through using information i'm kind of programming myself with through twitter you know and i kind of choose how to program myself by through that if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely i also i like to do this one thing with twitter is um i like to try to find if the if someone I follow has some interesting things, sometimes like like with Twitter, it's unclear whether or not they really grasp what they're talking about sometimes. So I try to find like an interview or some interviews on YouTube or something or a podcast where I'll download them and try to listen to the interviews to see how much substance the person has. Because some people, they could tweet well, but they might not be able to carry yeah. that over. Right. And so I, I, I agree. Yeah. So it's this tricky thing. And I'm finding it's actually very difficult to find people that really like have original thought and, and yeah. original depth. A lot of people, it just seems like they're just regurgitating, like, you know, everything yeah, else that everyone else is saying. People, it's like, what, what the yeah, heck? They just retweet or that what they do a lot of times is I think a lot of people will see something else, someone else tweeted and be like, oh, I'm going to tweet that too and make it seem like it's my own tweet instead of retweeting it, for example. And so there's a lot of people doing that type of thing too. And, you know, it's nice to have the original kind of thinkers as opposed to people that are just copying other people's thoughts. So sometimes you can tell by seeing their interactions with people, you know, if if someone's replying to the tweets and they reply back how their interactions are. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think a good idea, like you said, is seeing some of their interviews or videos to kind of grasp how well they actually understand the type of stuff they're talking about. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, fun stuff, man. Um, lots of things coming up this uh, next week. In a week, what we've got Tesla earnings Q one. Uh, lots yeah, of things are going to happen uh, this week and upcoming week. Um, and uh, every day, you know, lots of stuff is happening always. Yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of hope that Tesla. I kind of hope Tesla takes a dive tomorrow on this ridiculous crash news or whatever. Oh, you know, yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. if, it a, if it takes a dive in the next few days, then it, I would love to get like some short-term call option, just a small bet on like yeah. more short-term call options for the earnings, you know, but yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. What, you, you saw that crash with the, the that's being reported all over the place now. Like, yeah. To me, it's the most like, ridiculous thing because <laughs> it's like, so if, what, there was like a drunk driver that fled the scene, you know, or something like that. Oh, me. really? I don't know. Oh, I read about, I, was it, is it different? I read about the crash where you had a person that wasn't in the front seat. Is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it that I crash? Think that the, crashed yeah and then i think the person that wasn't there probably was a person in the front seat that just fled and was like drunk and like uh, the reporter's like oh it must have driven itself there was no one in the front seat you know because yeah yeah people in passenger in the, in the back seat had their seatbelts in even apparently and they probably got knocked unconscious the fire took off and then i don't know the person yeah. in front was like i'm getting out of here that's my guess but yeah. it, it's impossible for the car to drive like like that, it, and the media is reporting it yeah. like it happened, it's like crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. the beginning of the fud of anti anti full self driving that I'm worried about. You know, mm-hmm. that's gonna delay it. True. Yeah, could be definitely. Um, anything else you guys you're um that's on your plate this next week or or so, or that you're thinking about? Yeah. Um. Not really. Curious to see how uh, Coinbase settles in over the next week or two, if it goes lower first or something. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 just excited to uh, see what happens with Dogecoin too. You know, like we'll probably learn more as time goes on what the plans are with that, and if it keeps going up or if it goes down, maybe I'll I'll figure out how to buy some or something. You know. What about you? Any big plans coming up this next week or so? Um, yeah, no, just um, I've got an interview with Will Summerlin. He's the AI analyst for ARK Invest. Oh, so, okay. yeah, right. looking forward to uh, unpacking AI with him. And I'm excited about Tesla AI Day, man. I just can't stop thinking about it. I think yeah. I, I'm optimistic, but I'm kind of cautious because I think I'm, I don't want to get too disappointed. But yeah. I, I feel like there Is could be more of a recruiting scheme or is it actually some like announcement like we're here on ai you know it's hard to know which yeah is elon yeah i mean yeah. my hunch which you know i could be wrong but i have this hunch that it could be like really big like in terms of what it opens up so. but mm-hmm. you know it's the unlikely scenario i mean most likely it's something less ambitious but if it is then that's exciting because i love stuff that redefines their five-year ten-year trajectory just completely you know because yeah i feel like wall street analysts institution they, investors, they don't care another edge yeah they don't yeah, care about five edge. ten years out you know it's like it's no. that stuff is just like too far out they care about this year or next year right <laughs> yeah uh, that's their yeah. the scope um but yeah. when you have something that transforms a company you know five years out it's like fantastic it's like it's just yeah. something to i mean i think to. the neural network neural networks as a service is what i hope it is mm-hmm. you know and i think it could be like vision neural networks as a service you know like that's what they're really perfecting with the mm-hmm. autopilot so like real world shallow api like he was saying like yeah maybe it's just like anything that needs vision to operate like physical world real world vision to operate whether it's like a drone 
or, you know, automated play calling in sports or surgery in someone's heart, you know, whether it needs to be able to see micro, you know, I feel like it's just going to be some kind of neural network service uh, that they'll kind of expand on. That's my, my guess, yeah. but we'll, I'm sure there'll be tons of speculation leading up to it. But, and I also think that the AI day could be a year from now. Like, you know, he talked about yeah. battery day happening. <laughs> like, you know, I think back at AI day it, and I'm back at, um, auto at, at full self autopilot day or whatever, self-driving, you know, yeah. I think he talked about battery day and like, Oh, we'll probably have some battery day later this year or next year. And, it was like three years later, four years, you know, it was, so hopefully he's not that far off on this timeline. Hopefully it's this year sometime, but I could see it being next year too. Yeah. Like as you're talking, I wonder if, I mean, this is kind of a crazy long shot, but I wonder if Tesla could come up with an API where you send a developer, anyone sends like a frame or a video clip or whatever, or a live stream, whatever, and you send it to Tesla's API Dojo server and it just basically returns the same kind of image or feed, but with all of the objects like mapped out mm. and the distances of all of the objects, like every single object, this is a cat five feet away, three feet away, two feet, you know, all this stuff mapped out completely. So it's kind of like this, I don't know, like service where it actually does the, you know, vision for you in a sense. Mm. Um, I mean, on the flip side, it's, it might be hard because some vision scenarios might need some special attention. People want to train their own systems with you know, their own corner cases and all that stuff. So it might be kind yeah. of messy. They might want to do their own training, but I don't know. It's an interesting kind of you That's know, interesting. idea. Yeah, that could be really interesting. Security, you know, military, all kinds of applications for this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, awesome, Emmett. Nice uh, chatting with you and catching up. Yeah. Uh, and sure. um, yeah, thanks for uh, yeah thanks sharing. For and, yeah, and we'll go ahead and um, uh, have another chat sometime. And for all those you know catching up with us, uh, thank you for joining, and we'll talk to you guys in the next video. Thanks. Bye.